Special thanks to everyone who pledged money to crowdfund the show this week, including Matt Lacey, David Walker, Tim Edwards, Illico Elia, Andy Hagen, Jamie Holland, Roland Roberts, Ian Wilkinson, Alistair Harding, Dan Lane, Ian Mercer and John Balshaw. There's a full list of our supporters on 361podcast.com, along with information on how to help us for as little as $1 per episode via Patreon. Hello and welcome to 361, a weekly podcast about mobile tech and the world around it. My name's Ben Smith. I'm Ewan McLeod. And I'm Rafe Blanford. This is season 14, episode 5, and this week Rafe's been living it up in the Bellagio Hotel Las Vegas. That's right. Earlier this month, I was at CS checking out the latest trends. So sit back and let's see what caught the Blanford's eye. Welcome back, chaps. How are you doing? Rocking. Very well, thank you. Oh, there we low go. energy. Yep. Low, low yep. energy. No. We're That's not a, low energy. We're having a bit of a snack here, you and McLeod. So uh, I've got, look, I've got my, here. I've got my New Year's resolution. Look, there's banana. I, uh, yeah. I suppose I don't actually have to hold it up because you, you know I'm having a banana and now I've just yeah. made a noise. But there you go. Mm. I'm having a banana. That's Very the, good. That's the sound of a Coke can falling over that was underneath my banana. I'm having some diet grapes. Oh, right. Rafe is having some grapes. Ewan. Lovely. The, the grapes are raff E. <laughs> No, thank you very much. Rafe, um, I've got a friend who is... Oh, here um, we go. Here we go. No, I've got a friend who's terrified of going to events where they serve buffet food. Why is that? Uh, well, it's just a phobia. It's just a phobia. They've got buffet phobia. And I started trying to help them. I said, you know, the way to overcome buffet phobia, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. the first thing about overcoming buffet phobia is you've got to want to help yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that, that was better. That was definitely better. <laughs> there we go. It was worth the five minutes of setup. Um, anyway, so um, how's the weather in Copenhagen? Uh, it's perfectly fine. Thank you very much. There you go. I'm not going to tell you a colour no, or, it, or it, a lighting definition. Yeah, it's just yeah. perfectly fine. Thank you. Exactly. This, is, this podcast is becoming more and more like a Tony Hancock recording. than uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's raining in Tokyo. There you go. Well, there is some good news about living in Copenhagen. Oh, tell us. Um, that, is it the discovered? Scandinavian quality of life? And there's that. Okay, it's very nice. And then there's Amazon, Amazon DE. Amazon DE. So I've realised that Amazon Germany, having got hold of a map and noticed the Copenhagen... <laughs> having, having <Hang> on. <laughs> let, let, let me just get this straight, Ewan. Are you telling me that you didn't notice that Germany was closer to Denmark than the UK until you looked at a map? I, didn't, I just didn't really. It wasn't... <laughs> you know, so the sort of land border didn't give it away. <laughs> it wasn't really a... A thing for me until I thought, oh, do you know what? It might be worthwhile looking to see if Amazon.de, given that it that, yeah, is connected by land. Oh, dear. I, uh, I thought, well, I'll try Amazon DE, and it's actually pretty cool. And so I've been using Amazon DE with my UK Amazon account, perfectly fine. But just recently, I logged in and saw that delivery is now free from Amazon Germany to, to Denmark. And to all of Europe, or? Uh, for, just for, it's only, it's just popping up saying Denmark, I presume, because it sees I'm in Denmark. And it's got my address in Denmark. And I've ordered from Amazon a few times now from Germany, and it's been good, but you pay delivery. So you do pay like five pounds delivery. And really, the only value for, for me from ordering from Amazon DE is you get the Euro plug, right? right? Which, which is helpful. Need. So I did that for the, uh, for oh, the Arlo, I think. I think I got that from, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a European one. Now, what was interesting is the UK and Amazon, the, the delivery prices are the same. So really, if I want a UK plug, I'll get it from the UK. If I want Europe, blah, blah, blah. Do, they, now, do they sell maps? Uh, maps of Europe, perhaps? Uh, that's, that's a good point. Oh. I, I logged in. If you spend, pay attention, gentlemen. If you Sorry. spend more than 39 euro, you can have free delivery. 39 euro, that's about 450 pounds at the current rate, is it? <laughs> not quite, not quite. <laughs> no. for, that for, we'll be for, by the yes, time this goes out. Indeed, indeed. But that's, that's, I think that's really good. And then I've got a question for you. And okay, I really would like to know, what do you think of AirPods? Because I saw my first guy wearing them. And I did think, idiot, I just thought, hashtag idiot is what I, what I thought when I saw the guy walking through the office with them. Now that is not a positive response. That's not a typical it, Apple response as well, is No, it? no. Because these things are just hanging out his ears. It just didn't look very good. Right. What do you think? 
I think because they're sort of alien to us, that they seem to lack a certain amount of elegance. But I do really like the idea. And these wireless earbuds, there's a lot of them now. I mean, it started with the Braggy Dash, that kickstart with all the sensors in them. And it feels like, you know, Apple have made it a bit more acceptable and mainstream. And my favorite factoid about them is that there's actually more processing power in the AirPods than there was in the first iPhone. What? Yeah, yeah. I know. That's a Rifepedia fact you can take that to the bank. That is really cool, isn't it? Well, yeah. Okay, so are you going to get AirPods? No. Or are you... Go- okay, interesting. So I, you I, gonna- I really want wireless headphones. Now, it's a particular niche use case, but you know I travel on the tube loads. Yep. And if you remember the commute that we both used to do, oh, yes. it's really, really crowded. And the number of times I've nearly had my head torn off or been strangled by my earphone cable getting tangled on somebody else's bag or coat or whatever. And it's a niche use case, but it is a real problem when you're commuting. That I, I really think that wireless headphones will be much more convenient. But you can't get Apple AirPods for, for love nor money. They're out of stock everywhere. So actually, it's a bit of a moot point because by the time Apple have them back in stock, I reckon that loads of other competitive products will be on the market and I'll be able to make a decision because I, I was looking at the uh, Beats X. Yes. You mean the Beats with the W1 chip in So there's two. there are two. There's Actually, there's three. There's an over-the-ear pair, and I can't remember the name. There's an over-the-ear yeah. pair. Don't want them. I want in-ears. There's a, a set of sort of exercise headphones with a W1 chip in that they are mm-hmm. available now, but I don't want the exercise ones, and they're a bit chunky. But there are some Beats X, which they haven't released yet, which look right. more like a classic pair of earbuds, but connected by a wire, and they're about the same price as the AirPods. And I mean, Beats headphones sound horrible to me mm-hmm. Ninety-nine every time I've tried them, but... I'm mostly listening to podcasts and things, so it doesn't, you know, convenience will trump audio quality every yes. time. So I'm going to wait. I think I'm going to wait for those and then I'll read some reviews. But it's, it's one of those things where kind of the immediate, oh, I've got to buy it, has gone on the AirPods yeah. now. And I could just kind of wait because I can't have them, frankly. Uh, are you talking about the Power Beats? Uh, Power Beats, Power Beats 3 are, wireless earphones with a W1 in them. That they're available now, but they are, yeah. they've got loads of sporty features that I don't want, like, the okay. clips and the things. I just want very, very lightweight, convenient ones. What about the, the W1 chip? As in the, wire, the proper wireless or the Apple wireless, but for headphones, yeah, the Powerbeat ones? Beats I, 3 I, or something? They, they might be great, but I, I really like the noise isolating that in-ear headphones do. And I carry them around so much that curling them up and sticking them in my coat pocket is a massive convenience. So, I mean, I reckon there's a whole market of commuter headphones and that's what I want. But okay. uh, to be clear, though, I will only be buying headphones with W1 chip in. I yes. want that easy pairing. I want the guaranteed you know, usability. So I'm basically buying Beats or Apple ones. Mm. Um, but I have to say, I, I am slightly bothered by, I don't want people to look at me and have that reaction that you had. And I do think it's interesting that actually you sort of attach yourself to, I want that particular bit of silicon which is something we always used to happen with smartphones. You know, I have to have the latest and greatest processor. The Qualcomm thingamajig. Uh, mm. Exactly. And, you know, now we're up to the Qualcomm 835, and I doubt most people are even bothered about what's five, new about five it. five better than the last one, I suppose. Mm. It? Mm. <laughs> Indeed. But there are other headphones out there. I mean, the Bose ones, which are wild Quite come well, from 35. Yeah. The, the QC35s are very mm. well reviewed. I mean, I, I again, I don't want over-the-ear or on-ear ones, but why wouldn't I buy the Apple ones with the kind of the the extra features. It's true. I mean, the thing is, I also want to use it with other devices, which sort of starts to enter into my thinking. But the other part of it for me, and the reason I said no to you, and is I think this is going to move on pretty quickly in that there will be headphones with lots of sensors in them that will do intelligent, useful things. And we're starting to see this idea that you might have some sort of virtual assistant in your ear with a few more controls. And so I think it's like the first generation of of smartphones, you know, these smart headphones or smart wireless headphones, it feels to me like there's a little bit more to come. And that's probably a purchase I don't really want to be making every 12 months or so. Okay, which is so much preamble, you McLeod. You've asked us a cunning question because that is sort of leading into this week's topic. Are you getting them, by the way? Are you getting the AirPods? Uh, You've got, you're literally wearing your B&O H something or others. The man saw me come at Dixon's Tax Free. Um, no, 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 but those, sell me these but those are awesome comfortable headphones oh they're lovely they're lovely and the bluetooth is really cool when I finally worked out how to get it what, working are they H8s or yes. do you remember which model H8s right H8, yeah, really yeah. but would you buy AirPods I, th- I think I would buy them just to try them out I, 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 I think I need to experience it but I'm quite bothered by how I reacted to this guy yeah so 
This is Rafe Blanford's special episode. Um, as part of our new extended super budget, we flew Rafe Blanford first class to Las Vegas, which is, right. this is yeah. not a thing that happened. But Rafe Blanford did, through other means, attend CES. And we're going to talk about it, but we're well late. So we're not going to do news. We're going to talk about it like grown-ups. Like, what did mm. we learn? Yes, thank you, Ben. I was actually there for work and it certainly wasn't first class in case any of my colleagues listening to this get any ideas. It was. Um, I, I heard I, you had your own space in the jet. That, that's, that's just because he's smaller than everyone else. Uh-huh. So we wanted to talk about some of the big themes out of the show. And for those that don't know, CES, Consumer Electronics Show, is where a lot of products get announced um, from startups right up to some of the large companies. It used to be big for mobile. More recently, that's kind of fallen away. But the ever-expanding range of consumer electronics and all the things we talk about orbiting mobile were there, but also the more traditional items in terms of PCs and TVs. And so I thought I'd try and talk about three kind of big themes that I saw. But mm. since we mentioned it, those audio in-ear headphones, particularly the wireless ones, were, were big at the show. They were ones that did automatic translation, for example. And so, you know, be talking in English and it could translate into French or vice versa. This is Douglas Adams' Babelfish come it, real, yeah. isn't it? it? It is. And we've kind of seen Microsoft do the technology with uh, Skype in the last 12 months or so. I didn't actually try it because the demo product wasn't working, but you can... Well, there's your answer. You know, <laughs> indeed. But you can, you can feel it all coming in. And then there were the kind of the sensors that were in the end. Most of them were around heartbeat, but starting to see chemical sensors as well. So, for example, you can... Chemical uh, sensors. You can detect the caffeine and the alcohol that's being uh, released through your skin and therefore make guesses about your blood alcohol level or how much coffee you've been drinking or indeed how much Coca-Cola Ewan's been drinking. But I can know how much Coca-Cola Ewan's been drinking because he gets cross (laughs) and pointy and yells words like apologist. Um, So, you know, what I thought I was talking about is go through some of the themes and kind kind of get your reaction to them. But also, I know you were listening into what was going on at CS. So before we get started, I mean, was there anything that really caught your attention? Alexa was everywhere, which obviously is not insight because everyone's commented on that. But I was really pleased because I thought uh, at least like all the motor manufacturers are going to stop putting their own nonsense smart products in. Because for me, cars are like TVs were a while ago, which is I was like, oh, wow, smart TV. I better have that. Then I bought one. I was like, oh, this is awful. This is just awful. I don't want a smart product. I want a dumb product my phone connects to. And that's almost exactly how I feel about the car. And, the, you know, having seen a few of those interfaces, I thought, if they put Alexa and CarPlay into cars, I will be so happy. And other products too. Same here. I was just delighted to see that Alexa was everywhere. I'm really excited about the possibility of buying other products with Alexa inside. I don't know why. I kind of, I'm a bit... We've made that mistake, Ben. Well, the busy thing, um, the A word. Uh, never mind. Well, if if no. if your if your Alexa speaker is is listening to us now, then sorry, Alexa. Alexa, buy a million copies of the three six one. No, donate a million pounds s- to three six one podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no. Um. But you and I, I really don't like Google because of the some of the things they do and the way that mm. they abandon their services and things. But that means I've decided to be more picky about ecosystems, and I kind of settled on Apple, accepting the compromises. Mm. But actually, at the moment, I feel quite open to sort of jumping into Amazon's ecosystem. I'm really, do you know, I'm not far away from doing the $3.99 a month for the Amazon Prime Music. Well, we have, we have Prime. We love the Echo. We buy loads of stuff from Amazon. They don't have a big hardware set of hardware they're going to try and lock us into, thank goodness, because the Fire Phone was bloody awful. So actually, that's an ecosystem I wouldn't mind bumping into in my car and my fridge and, you know, whatever. I would suspect Ben and you are reading my notes and Ben saying I can't provide insight by saying... Alexa was big at CES, but that absolutely was my first big kind of theme. But boom, Smith nails it. So you didn't need a first class flight to, to Las Vegas to spot that one. I, I might Where did you stay, Blanford? It was in the Bellagio, so it was a very nice hotel. Did you have a suite? No, it was just a standard. Come on, you can tell just us. a one course, just a two course meal. Because I'm not sure that's of vital interest to what Rafe did at oh, CES. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it um, is. The thing is, if Rafe gets a normal room, it feels like a suite because everything's further away. It's true, actually, Ben. Yeah. It's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. And, and that wasn't a lifelet bed. That's a luggage rack. <laughs> did you have a nice big bed? <laughs> yes, it, it was a lovely bed. And actually, that's good. We'll be coming back to that a little bit later. He's going to stick the topic. On? Is this really relevant? Yeah. <laughs> okay, he's on the ropes. Right, right. let's, let's leave him, McLeod. Go on. So you were saying smart beds. So I'll try and get back to Rafe and then we'll get to smart beds. So actually, 
voice first, and Alexa really was in everything. But just to kind of give you a couple of examples, it was being integrated into Whirlpool's appliances, and that was with skills that you could ask how long they was left on the uh, cooking program, or you know whether the filter in your fridge needed replacing, or adjust the temperature, and all those kind of things. Which was kind of interesting. It's that uh, sense of ambient control in the home. But you mentioned cars. Both mm-hmm. Ford and Volkswagen had integrated Alexa into their vehicles. And just as an aside, as a precursor to putting an Echo Dot in my car, for fun, I have tried really cool. using uh, a Dot over a 3G Wi-Fi hotspot just going around the place, and I don't think it's going to work because it, ah. res- it doesn't respond well to flaky internet connections yeah. at all well. Uh, it, it, there's lots of sort of random pausing, but we'll come back to that in a future episode. But it was also in smartwatches, Martian had a range, and actually it was a pretty poor implementation. It was very slow performance but it was very obvious that alexa was very easy to include in whatever product you want and amazon have been really smart about that but going back to your point it's their ecosystem approach is basically to be agnostic and say we'll provide the framework and we're interested in connecting people to do shopping purchases but anything else will will help you out with it feels like they've jumped that we're going to lock you in phase because when you get to the ecosystems and they start to be forced to opening up a bit like apple is now as they've started mm. to be have to sort of open up those skills into various other bits like apps in iMessage and all those sorts of things and allowing Siri to integrate with other apps you think ah oh, that's that's consumer friendly and it feels like amazon's just gone straight there absolutely and you know they then had other partners who were putting it into speakers so they don't mind competition in that sense. And then there was the Nucleus Video Intercom that had it. And then there were lights from GE. And some of them, frankly, were quite peculiar. And some of them don't make any sense at all. But there are enough of them. But it, it, it so almost what, becomes... What was the weirdest one you saw? Yes. What was the unnecessary one? I think it was probably the GE lamp, which... Actually, because your butler will turn it on for you. Well, in the, in the face of it, actually, it seems very strange, but combining an echo into a lamp, so you just have one object, makes a lot of sense. But what was interesting for me is this sense that actually having an Alexa speaker might be unnecessary in the future because you'll have so many other things with this virtual assistant embedded in them. And the, particularly, the walls literally have ears. Indeed, and you know, things like the LG fridge, which actually then have a pretty chunky soundbar on them mm. and, and can do entertainment properly and you know, not far off seeing it being built into TVs and there are actually a couple of TVs with the Amazon Fire built in. But I was quite amazed, you know, for a company that sort of didn't really get the ecosystem to work with either the Fire phone mm. or really the Fire tablets, they really nailed it this time around and very smart indeed. But it wasn't just about Alexa, and it's very easy to get carried away by that. I think, you know, because they've been the first mover, they were very obviously visible at CES, but there were also the signs of Microsoft catching up, and also to an extent Google as well, and there were a few uh, Siri integrations as well. So that overall impression was of voice has become almost a first-class citizen as an interface, and it's been around forever. I mean, I can remember, you know, voice commands and magic words on the early smartphones, and of course, more recently, we've had Siri and Google Voice all have been off-trigger words, but the fact that they're in all these devices that are around us in the car and the home means it, it sort of uh, almost becomes part of the fabric of what we're used to. So really interesting there. And just to give you a couple of examples of other people doing it and starting to move voice in new directions, Mattel had their Aristotle speaker that was specifically aimed at children. It was built using Microsoft Cognitive Services. And this is the idea. To begin with, it starts as a baby monitor But as the children grow up, it then becomes kind of a a companion in the nursery and then a homework assistant and then a kind of entertainment hub and can also act as a smart home control. So I quite like that idea of a product that evolved over time. And Mattel as a brand is a really interesting one to do that. Because your kids love the the Echo, don't they? Oh, yeah. We actually do games. I mean, because we don't have it in the car. And I, I too was thinking of doing the Echo Dot in the car with a 4G my fire unit. And I wonder, some of the TDC here, uh, the network here, they, they, they'll do like 120 and make internet on the mobile. So I wonder if that could be a possible if you've option. Got, if you've got good coverage in an urban area, I'd say you'd probably be all right. I've tried it just around and about. And actually, yeah. the problem for us is that where we live, it's fine. But as you drive or you go into more built-up areas, there's lots of bits of London with little localised, you know, black spots of signal coverage. And so, you know, if you happen to be one of those, when you make the command, it doesn't work so well. I tried one in a meeting room in our old office the other day, Ewan, and just, yeah. you know, dicey signal doesn't work and it just sort of fluffs. But I mean... You know, Copenhagen's got great coverage, doesn't it? 
It, it does, and so I, I might. I think I will try that. I need to mm. get myself a, a, a hotspot. But the what we do in lieu of that is use the your children. Phone. Just use uh, your phone. No, no. Quite simply, we we do games in the car where I have to ask Alexa, and the boys respond. <laughs> so I say, Alexa, play a song from Mary Poppins, and both of them like start up with chim chimney chim chimney. <laughs> You're, you're, are your children gremlins by any chance? Because every time you do an impression, we can do that for about a good half an hour, forty minutes before they get annoyed and frustrated. But they love it, right? So it's the opposite, Alexa. Yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting that it's already becoming so embedded. They just accept it as as perfectly normal. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's the other thing that was readily apparent that voice would be everywhere in terms of uptake. Amazingly fast. I mean, there were still ones which you sort of went mm-hmm about. So. Panasonic had a device called Listener, which was intended to listen to what babies were saying and could divide the sounds into four categories, whether they were grumbling, they were happy, laughing or crying, and but then the, it would the, map the, it over time. There's a device that can do that. It's got a parent. Yes, exactly. And so... No, it's called a mother. <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I should, <laughs> darling, what does he want? Oh, yeah, right, okay, yeah. But I think the last thing that caught my attention for voice is it wasn't just about microphones, so... A couple of automotive companies really thinking about how you do voice robustly, and they were actually uh, using lasers to basically look at your throat and therefore wow. see what the shape was in order to more accurately do voice recognition. Wow. Others were doing lip reading using inbuilt cameras, and so that kind of technology. Because of course, with voice, you need to get more robust, and you know, voice recognition has got very good, but that's how you get to the last few percent and to really get rid of that irritation factor. Although I, th- I think the existing tech would do quite well in most normal vehicle uses because we use an Echo in the kitchen quite a lot and you can have a blender going or an extractor fan going and it absolutely doesn't even blink at, you know, answering you with that background, consistent That's background really noise. That's really good, really good. Part of that is because it actually tends to limit the kind of the scope of the queries and so that does make it easier. And I think once you start getting into some music, for example, it's not always good at recognising album names. So True. But as I say, that's about the robustness of it. And there were developments in the far field microphones and that kind of thing. The other thing that was just beginning to be suggested was this sense that voice on its own brings a lot of value, but there are some things that you need an additional display for. And so, you know, there are rumours now of an Echo with a display. And actually the first of those were kind of being shown off by competitors. There was one called Wuhu from China, Woohoo. where you had to say Woohoo to get it, the assistance to activate. And then Nucleus, which was the intercom system, was using an early version of the Amazon Alexa cards, which provides visual information in addition to the audio query. I don't know about you, Ewan, but when I first heard about an Echo with a screen, I thought, no, that is complete nonsense. So like, we use the Echo when we're a good way away from it. It's like you know, having that in the house is part of the joy. It's not having to go over and look at a screen or touch a tablet. But actually, we use it so much now when we're cooking and things like that, that actually, if that screen could be a media player or yeah. the pages of the recipe that we're cooking, so long as either it was detachable or big enough that you could see it from wherever it was positioned, uh, you know, it's not an input device, it's another output device. Well, it, I, I'm almost, you know, Amazon Basics. So you know Amazon does these basic products, no, like you, batteries. You know, you know I own you by the best, you and I, I don't have you, I don't have Amazon Basics. I have Amazon the absolutely best. I have quite a lot of Amazon Basics stuff, Anchor Amazon Basics stuff, and I can see a time whereby I would get a Kindle or you know an Echo compatible Kindle or something like that. I saw you know forty nine whatever pounds or yeah, eighty nine pounds. I can imagine this is the kind of thing that go. Oh, do you know what? Yeah, I'll have one of them. And if it's contextual, the screen that could be really helpful. Well, I'm thinking that that if they put a nice like a twelve inch tablet type size screen mm, or something like yeah. that, and I realise that's a reasonably premium product, but you put that on an Echo type device, I'm going to move it from the far side of the kitchen and I'm going to stick it right slap bang in the middle yep. of our kitchen counter so that it can be recipes, telly, you know, it's like our universal kind of kitchen and device. Now you're well into the Amazon ecosystem. Well, now it's, right? now, it's point. The, now it's in the middle of our lives. I mean, it's practically and there already, basically. You're not paying the, the Apple premium, right? Because you know that Amazon will simply just give it to you at cost price or even... Less in some cases, I'm think, thinking. Th- these these output devices, Rafe, why are they starting off making hardware that does that? Why, why for example, 
given the world and its wife makes HDMI dongles like Chromecasts and Fire TVs, why aren't all of these smart home type of voice assistant gizmos hooking into those first? Well, I think it, it will happen. Actually, Google Home is a good example of one that does that quite okay. successfully. And Amazon, I'm sure, will do it with the Amazon Fire TV and the stick equivalent. But I think it's just a case of it's easier at the moment to control all the experience in a single device. And it is still very early days for these things. And so a lot of the technology you could see there, but had a lot of rough edges. And frankly, a lot of the things with Amazon Alexa inside, you sort of go, I can't really see people using that. It was just almost, it was the, the badge that you needed to put on your stand to make it stand out at CES and to become acceptable. I mean, the other thing is that all of this stuff will work if it's got a good internet connection, but this stuff needs to be able to use the smart stuff in the cloud to, you know, parse the voice and do the cleverness, even if the control of the smart home devices, for example, is local. So in the car and when you're out on the go and in a watch, uh, much more problematic use cases, aren't they? Yes, I think so. And I think there is a danger that you kind of spoil the experience. Mm. Um, And so Amazon are going to have to be careful. I mean, being open, I think, is great. And what kind of surprised me, and I was getting quite a bit of commentary around the show, was Amazon have almost managed to create an ecosystem in an age where a lot of people thought iOS and Android would be dominant for years to come. I've always thought that's a bit Mm. of a misnomer because we saw how quickly they came in and displaced existing things. And there's a lot more room for that. And I think actually the big one that we'll see is when AI gets a, a more prominent role because people won't really care whether that's the Apple version, the Google version, the Microsoft version, or indeed some other new entrant. Now, I think it may be mediated through one of those existing ecosystems, but for most people, AI in the home means Amazon Echo at the moment, and they're quite comfortable delegating it tasks or giving it responsibility to do things. Okay, so enough chat about voice. What's up next? Automation. Automation. Put some flesh on the bones because that could be many things. Many well, things. that's the whole point about, about it is that it covers a whole range of things because there was artificial intelligence, lots of startups looking at that area from ones who were looking at defects on wind farms and actually... You know, you and I hate it when I miss a defect on my wind farm. Absolutely. I totally with you. Say, totally with you. Would somebody just spot the defects on my wind farm? For Very good topical here in, uh, in Denmark. Hmm? Big no, in wind quite. farms, Denmark. Yeah. So this was a startup that's using machine learning to identify problems when you're doing an aerial survey with a drone of a, a wind turbine. The reason I bring it up is because previously that's something that would have taken about eight hours per turbine. They'd got it down to an hour. And we'll see a lot more of this kind of automated analysis and you can take a big data set, and lots of companies have big data sets or data lakes, as the groovy kids apparently refer to them as. Hadoop. Hello, and welcome to 361, a weekly podcast about mobile tech and the aerial survey of your wind farm. Excellent. <laughs> yes, thank you, Ben. So training on those big bits of data and then enabling it to do a smart decision or analysis for you, plenty of examples of that. But there were lots and lots of artificial intelligence that made no sense at all, always just used as a hype label, just as kind of VR and AR have been in previous years. And so Calabri, probably the worst sinner in this department, labeling AI toothbrush. (laughs) You went went and talked to them about it and it turned out they were just doing a bit of data analytics on a smart toothbrush. I mean, Mm. it's a bit easy to be skeptical about a toothbrush anyway. Yes. Oh, I saw one. (laughs) uh, Ewan, did you see that smart hairbrush? Yes. Saw that. No, that was, was, that, was that Withings? That was Withings. Now, I really, the Withings stuff, like I, for my health we've, stuff. We've got their scale. Yeah, we've, yeah. Got, we've yeah. got the scale. I use their step trackers. Um, what are I, they I, doing? I really, yeah. I think I quite respect them. And that's so disappointed to see them <laughs> yeah, doing and, nonsense. And this was a, a hairbrush that it measured conductivity to tell whether your hair was wet, then accelerometer, and then a microphone. And the, the idea was that they were partnered with uh, L'Oreal, and I think it was Kerity's is the hair, uh, hair product brand, and they were trying to sell you all that. So you could see it all making sense in some presentation, but it felt a bit false. It felt like IoT and smart things were a few years ago, where it was all mm. a bit pointless. And actually, the reason I mentioned automation is the best products were ones which actually enabled some kind of automation. And a lot of that did come through. Give us some examples. I'm really struggling. Give us some examples. Yeah. What, one, what's, what's, a, what's the best example? It was actually the ones I thought were most impressive were those using the Amazon Dash replenishment service. And that's because they were end-to-end. I want a button for biscuits. 
Biscuits are right. for biscuits, but actually, it's it's an appliance that knows it's run out of a consumable and will order it for you on your behalf. So you don't have to press a button. So it's a button that presses itself. Exactly. It's a button that presses (laughs) itself. And it's easy to be quite skeptical about them. No, as long as the biscuits come, I'm very happy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the, the, the thing I think is interesting about this is most people are, are pretty sceptical when you tell them about it. And we've seen printers that order their own ink and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. But there were, again, it was lots of different examples. You were seeing LG and Samsung introduce fridges that had this idea of being able to do auto-ordering and this kind of thing. But what I would say is any kind of automation is quite difficult to get your head around but once you start living with it and it's not available, you then realise the value of it. And there's a, a good analogy that you can draw in that most public restrooms now have automatic taps and automatic soap mm. dispensers. And it would actually feel a bit peculiar not having that because it wouldn't be very hygienic. It's just become your expectation. And it's a bit like doors that open automatically. You're just used to it. It just happens. And actually, it's really important because for all of this automation is essentially what it's doing is taking away a decision that you have to make and talk yes. about this last year but very much more prevalent at CS this year this idea of delegated decisions and you can get a little bit carried away by this but actually a lot of poverty is about having to make lots of decisions and so people are trying to explain that poverty yeah so if you think about if you've got to worry about where your next meal is coming from most of the decisions you're making are around budgeting and yeah. that takes a lot of your cognitive load and all the things you oh, have to okay. think about. You can translate that, and obviously most serious when it is true poverty, yes, but yes. you move that up the spectrum. There are lots of decisions that you don't really care about that much, but you still have to make. They are utilitarian, for want of a better word. It's what we start to call friction when, you, when it's sort of not life or death kind of stuff. Yeah, and you know what is that life and death line? Because I think most people, even in a Western society, aren't really on that life-death line. But you, know, you move that up. But, um, if, but if you are, if you're having to manage your energy budget because your your, your heating or electricity bills are too high, then deciding what to turn on or off, or researching how to get a good deal, or or, or trying to minimise your use, I see it can be a huge. You and, know, and that's, uh, a, I mean, overhead. that's already known as a big deal yeah. in poverty. But you can actually also move that up a little bit, and so there's lots of other decisions that fall into that same category that actually place you under cognitive load. It makes you mm. think about it, having to make a decision. You take that away, you give people more time to think about the important decisions or give them more time to do the things that they enjoy. And so this is a very early look about what things will be like when there's more automation, when there's more virtual assistance. And so probably a, an easier comparison to draw, one that's maybe not got so many ethical tangles in it, is if you're lucky enough to have a personal assistant, you understand a lot of the pain points he's go away. Again. Yeah, and he's boasting. Uh, I, I wish well, I did. He, I, I thought he's got a business support and two PAs, right? You try yeah. and make a serious point, and you just get mocked ceaselessly. Mm. It's, it's, it, co- it's cognitive, <laughs> it's some kind of cognitive load. It, 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 it isn't, you're absolutely right, Ben. I mean, be, being mercilessly taking the piss out of it. Anyway, <laughs> if, you, if you have something like a PA, you understand that they will book travel for you and take away a lot of those decisions for you and make your life easier. Mm. Virtual assistance will be a lot like that. But I, I think that. I mean, and this is again, this is not insight, but it's been widely commented upon that as the internet enables you to select from all of the products on the planet or all of the options that are even theoretically available, the business of choosing is harder now because you used to be just a selection of what was available to you in your region or in your local shop. But now I can, you know, I can purchase something from anywhere on the globe. And I personally get this kind of almost, you know, sort of, I get stuck. You know, the business of choosing is so hard. I'm overwhelmed by all the choices. And I, I have a sort of a, a need not to just, you know, I know Ewan just says, whatever, you know, I'll just yeah. have this one. Do and it. It's good enough. Whereas I said, oh, but there might be a better one out there. And, you know, you find yourself reading reviews for, you know, kitchen appliances online or, you know, you know, trying to work out what the best saucepan is. And you have to sort of just pause and think, <laughs> have I, have I, am I choosing to spend my time wisely here? Tell us about your spreadsheets, analyzing. I mean, yes, as you said, that's well understood, the kind of the tyranny of choice, which is why... That's the phrase I was... Why most marketeers will actually give you three options and expect you to go for the middle one. I mean, it's a well understood pricing tactic. But actually, it's a really important point you make there that actually it is a burden Mm. having to make those choices. And so the other thing that automation does and virtual assistants do is actually will take a lot of that off your hands so you no longer have to worry about what product... Because a lot of the products are in your weekly shopping basket. Frankly, you don't care where they come from. They're performing a function. And 
know, it's easy to joke about toilet paper, but actually that's had something millions spent on marketing it and building up brands like Andrex yeah. and yeah. everything else. But actually, you probably wouldn't mind if your virtual assistant swapped one out. In fact, you might be quite pleased because you get to try out something a bit different yeah. or more to your liking. But of course, for marketeers, that's a really interesting thing to think about because rather than spending millions on marketing to people, do you have to spend millions on marketing to machines effectively? Yes. And so that is a big trend at CS, this idea of we're kind of on the cusp of something that's going to be quite a fundamental shift in the way we make a lot of purchasing decisions in the retail environment and in the home. And so that's why automation for me was one of the big themes. There is a second half to that, which was autonomous vehicles. And, you know, CS has been getting bigger and bigger for cars each year. And we saw Faraday Future, albeit with some questions around that funding, coming along and showing off their car that they're actually going to make available rather than it being a concept as it was last year. But a lot of the manufacturers showing off different things. And there was uh, Ford, Hyundai, Toyota, you know, big themes around, you know, big screens and control interfaces, very Tesla-like. But also this whole discussion around what automation and autonomous vehicles would do. And actually a lot of it was a suggestion that people would jump straight to fully autonomous rather than semi-autonomous, which is what we have with kind of Tesla at the moment. The US has different classes where we're classifying it. So we're talking about class four autonomous vehicles. Mm. And what, what, does, what does that mean in, in practice? That Rafe? means basically you get into the car and don't have to do anything else. And the car is capable of driving itself around. Whereas the next version down is you're in the car and sort of don't have to drive, but in theory can take control. Sort of enhanced yeah. cruise control. Yeah. And whereas, you know, the Tesla autopilot is kind of the second category at the moment. I had a go in, in, in a Tesla uh, Ooh, as, as, a passenger, as a passenger with, with the autopilot on. A friend's bought one in the UK. and Did you want one? Well, no, but I want the capability. I think I'm still not sold on buying a car from a, a brand that, that immature with, you know, that's has struggling to service and, and fit and finish and things. But the autopilot demo, boy, that's powerful. You know, you just take your hands and your feet off and go, there you go, car's driving now. And, Oof, you know, it's like, yeah. yeah, I want that in my cars. Mm. I mean, I'd, I'd rather somebody like BMW made it because I think, you know, in Europe, you know, you're going to get better support from them. But, you know, it, it's it's incredible how these products now, it's it's almost all of the other features are subservient to that smartness. First of all, yeah. they're smart yeah. and then then they're a car and all the other stuff as well. It was incredible. And it's interesting, the reason they want to jump straight to full autonomy is basically humans can't be relied upon to switch over from kind of autonomous driving to you driving because, and actually that's the biggest and hardest problem to solve. But there's also, you know, as inevitably when people start talking about these things, there's the ethics issue comes up and, you know, traditionally this is always talked about with the trolley bus problem, which is the idea that there's a trolley bus driving along and you have the chance to control the switch, the points and if you switch it one way, it will run over one person. If you don't do anything, it will run over four people. And what's the ethical choice you do? And there's different philosophical arguments about what you do. But for the, the smart car, you know, you're going to have to decide what's the thing to do because it will have to make a decision about effectively who is it going to kill, who's it going to run over. Although, although this, I mean, these conversations always irritate me a bit because it's a bit like when electric cars came along and everybody said, but I can't drive 700 miles to Scotland. And all the reviewers would say, you know, I decided to do a long weekend trip, you know, up yep. the country. And you think, well, <laughs> that's like, it's, it's like you've sat down with a product and thought, what's the least likely thing that's going to happen with this product? And how can I review it in that way? And it was just thoughtless because, I mean, I accept that there is the ethics will have to be baked in and there will be a point where these machines will have to evaluate and make a decision. But they're covered in sensors. They see things far more than, than yeah. humans do. So the number of times that that type of incident is going to arise is so vanishingly small that I worry more about the effectiveness and the safety for the passengers yeah. or actually preventing humans from making it do something stupid. Because as you said, the times that worried me most during the Tesla autopilot were where the, when the car went, ping, oh, I've lost the white line on the road, so you're back in control. I was yeah. like, well, you know, I hope the guy who's driving is like paying attention because like, you know, Whoops. all of a sudden yeah. he's in charge now, he's not in charge, he's in charge now, he's not in charge. And the ethics are only interesting, not because you worry about running people over, but because of what it says. As I mentioned, actually, BMW recently came out with kind of the answers, and they said, the only thing we can control absolutely is the car. So we're always going to save the driver because anything else is going to have uncertainty attached to it. And they're absolutely right. You know, you decide to drive into the wall, you don't know what happens when you then bounce off it and still hit someone. 
But it does suggest there's actually a whole load of ethics that are going to have to come along with automation because people are going to be a lot more aware of them. And we've had it recently with fake news and Facebook and what's in your algorithm-controlled Facebook feed and the same on Instagram and Twitter as well now. A lot of that's dictated by who you're following and what you click on. But is there then a responsibility to introduce more choices or, you know, what do you want it to behave like you? And so there's this sense, actually, that for automation and AI, should it have a personality? So there was one particular smart speaker called Ollie that actually changed its personality depending on how you interacted with it. So it became... (laughs) That's a very angry speaker in the Ewan McLeod household. (laughs) (laughs) So that sense is interesting to me when we start talking about some of the intangibles. So automation does run a whole full range of things, but there was a lot more evidence of it and actually having meaningful impact in the next few years so ewan but you mm. you you buy volvos because they're safe have done part, yes yep. like Indeed. if volvo made a completely autonomous car with and, and they and they delivered something that was it was all the things you imagine a volvo autonomous car would be ecologically friendly and safe first would you put your kids in it like, uh, could probably you, take it. I was thinking there because yeah. yes, probably. I don't. Can you overcome that mental leap of I know the machine knows best. That's what I was doing. Yeah. That's what I was doing. But yeah. like it's kind of it's like blame. Like if I screw up, it's my fault. If I delegate that responsibility to a machine, you know, it's still my fault. But actually, I've kind of not taken responsibility for doing the right thing. I don't know. I see. I when I am traveling, if I'm driving a long, long way, I get very, very annoyed that all of a sudden I'm doing 70 and then all of a sudden I'm doing 49 because some driver has decided to pull out into the wrong lane because he has got bored or for whatever reason he's pulled out and that has therefore caused all this unnecessary traffic, that kind of stuff. Idiot driving really winds me up. So Makes you drive uh, worse as well because you'll be crossed then. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I try and stay calm, but you're right, it does have an effect on you. And yeah, I can't help but comment to my long-suffering wife going, if this was all automated, I wouldn't be slowing down. Yeah, because it's yeah. a slowing down and stopping, right? You know, yeah. And that's what's creating the, the opportunity for more accidents, I think. I mean, that brings up two fascinating points. Ben, you're saying basically people's mental model mm. needs to adjust to take account of, you know, do you trust these things or not? And rationally, you absolutely should because they're safer and that's what the mm. Tesla statistics show but, for but, autopilot. But also because... We do, every time you don't pay attention, you'll do anyway. You get on a plane, you trust a machine. You, know, you yeah. get on a tube train, you trust a machine. You, you exactly. know, all the and, tubes and it, here in Copenhagen are completely automated. It just becomes a lot more visible in your lives. And that's going to be much truer when you've got kind of a virtual assistant, you know, whether it's sitting in your ear or car or home, whatever. But also what Ewan's saying, you know, that adjustment with automation, you know, depending on the figures you look at, if all the cars in London were autonomous and able to be kind of public use, you'd probably only need about 10 to 15% of the vehicles that are currently on the road to service all the needs. And that includes rush hour. And of course, you then need far fewer car parks, potentially fewer roads. Now, what does that do to urban planning? And it will probably be the most profound change to urban planning in the cityscape in the last 200 years. Well, you don't need any car parks because all the vehicles can go away. Exactly. And suddenly you reclaim lots of space. I mean, particularly if you think about the American urbanscape where there are parking lots everywhere and often surrounding the buildings. But even in, in, in London, you know, we've got the multi-story car mm. parks or hidden away. That changes things. You know, yeah. and this is not going to be happening in isolation. Let's, you know, not forget, you know, the smart cities with all the, the sensors around there. And it's actually something that here, which is now owned by some of the automakers, talks about very effectively in terms of how you change the flows around cities, potentially mm. even the zoning. So, you know, This is what's great about CS. You kind of see a glimpse of these wider things. And this is why I'm not particularly interested in talking about individual products, because you'll have seen those in the news. It's that bigger picture of what comes next. I tell you what, before I get in a manufacturer's automated car, I'm going to want to know somebody's audited the software in that car. Because this is the story that reminds me of. There was a big legal case in the States where Toyota was sued because there was something like their their vehicles were basically taking off um, not under control. People were trying to brake and they were finding that it wasn't working and the engine was racing away. And I, I've probably done a horrible job of describing the problem. But 
in the end, after a lot of protesting and a lot of trying to avoid it, they were compelled to submit the software and their engine management system to professional review by a, a third party. And it was a mess. It was poorly uh, maintained. It was yeah. complete spider. And basically they were saying no one could know how all of the various inputs would cause this system oh. to behave because there was no Not model. Good. It had been evolved over time. It was years and years old. It wasn't at all documented. And, you know, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't buy a Toyota car because I, that's not really the brand I like, but I'd never think of them as unsafe. You know, I would have no. thought boring maybe, but not unsafe. But actually people who wrote that software could be the people responsible for the software that decides how quickly I accelerate into that wall. And it's quite unnerving. And actually the, the reason this becomes particularly interesting is the computer can cope with every case that it's designed to, but then it will come across an edge case and it doesn't know what to do. And it can then therefore be quite unpredictable what happens. And actually, in the case of the Tesla crashes, where actually it tried to drive under a truck, it's because it saw a white truck matched against a white sky and thought it was absolutely okay. And it was edge case scenario. Now, we do have to remember that those are quite rare instances, but as you say, quality of software suddenly becomes way more important. Mm. So, you know, that was a big thing. I mean, it's probably worth talking about one last theme out of uh, CES and that it's kind of more of a summary and it comes out of the other two and that's emotion which sounds like a strange one to talk about. How are you feeling? Yeah were you tired and emotional at the end of it? I absolutely was because it's a, a very wearing trip but the reason I'm talking about this is because there were lots of companion robots but there was also... Did you meet someone special? Well you say that there were some people definitely you know coming up to me on the show floor and going hello Rafe and it wasn't just the uh, annoying beam video conference robots. It was companion robots. I recognise robots. your voice from yes, the 361. It, well, it wasn't quite that bad, but there were ones that you could hug aimed at small children, and it, uh, you, you can talk about the ethics of that as well. Mm. But then also companions for old people, which was basically a huggable seal and wowie robots. But actually, all a of them... huggable w- seal. Yeah. I think when I get old, if my, if my family come in and go, Granddad, we know you get lonely, so we've, we've brought, brought you, you a huggable an seal. animatronic yeah. seal. But, I mean, in all fairness, some the, the studies do show that that kind of thing can be quite helpful. It's the same as kind of therapy. Because yeah. <laughs> you, can be, you can use it to fend off obnoxious people. <laughs> but actually, what I'm talking about is kind of the home robots, and LG had the hub robot. A lot of Chinese companies were producing these that basically had a face or some kind of emotion projecting eyes on them. And they were intended to be company for children or in the home for families or for individuals. And actually, it was a way of humanizing the interactions, particularly with AI and some of the automation coming in. And the reason it's important is actually because all of these are designed to make you feel affection and have a real relationship with them. And we've talked about this a little bit with Amazon Echo, how actually it starts to become a character in the home. And there was a lot more of a suggestion of this. And the reason it's important, of course, is because people are a bit more accepting of failure if they like the thing that they're talking to, or it becomes yeah. a, a different kind of relationship. That's been the it's, motto for my career. <laughs> it's, not, it's not just utilitarian. It's actually something that almost becomes part of the family. And so Toyota had a concept car that had a conversation between a father and a teenage daughter going on. And they were having kind of arguments as, as they typically do. And the car was listening in. Then when the daughter got out of the car, the car then spoke to the father and sort of gave him a bit of reassurance and sort of chatted him. And later on, where the car had gone off to pick the daughter up on its own, because of course it was autonomous, it then kind of tried to promote reconciliation between the two. And it was this idea of family members. And now it was a bit cliched and it was a bit put on, but you could sort of understand this idea that the car becoming a family member And while I don't want to go too much into it, there is a a certain sense here that it's interesting that the type of relationship you might have with any of these consumer products does change when there is a little bit more of an emotional involvement or the the type of relationship you have. And so, again, for marketeers, that's actually, you know, they always try and talk about telling stories and developing a relationship. If you can really do that, that does make a difference. Now, I think it goes too far, but there are smaller versions of that. And I say the companion robots are the most obvious. But you also see it in a lot of the technology that's coming in, you know, facial recognition, being able to recognize 35 different types of emotion, using a wearable to work out what your emotional state is based on, things like your heart rate, the galvanic skin response. All of that is being overlaid on the top of these. And it is about that humanizing, and to a certain anthropomizing, mispronounce that, sorry, 
Anthropomorphic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll just skip over that word, but I think people know what I'm talking about. And so it's a much bigger thing, and I think it's something we'll see more of in the next few years. And like I said, it's really easy to be cynical about it, but you look at some of the studies and you know, all say if you can achieve that kind of connection, of course it's a good idea. And the technology is now there to achieve it in a way that feels a little bit less obnoxious. And so those things kind of voice, automation, and emotion were the three big takeaways for me for the CES. Anthropomorphic was the word I was Thank wrestling you. around, but yes, I, I, anthropomorphism. There yes. you go, anthropomorphism. Wow, there you go. Today's been a learning experience. Thanks, Rafe. I agree with you about the products because so many of the ones I saw, I, I struggled to relate to this year, but the trends are, are fascinating. And I'm beginning to come round to the point of view about the personality of the thing matters because of the echo. And it's a really trivial example, but I talk to echo. I don't talk to Siri. They Mm. do the same things. There must be something different then in, and it's, it's where they are and how they behave. And it is that humanity of it. And actually often the, the conversational aspect of it is important as well. But as I say, you know, yeah, lots of products, some of which you laugh at, but then some of which you take quite seriously. And I mentioned sleep, massive amount of sleep technology at CES, including the, uh, Sleep 360 bed that did everything from warm your feet up to make you fall asleep. And then it would adjust the firmness of the mattress in real time based on your movements. But probably the thing that people like most would it would help your partner stop snoring by just raising them up and down slightly. And that was a good example <laughs> of automation. But then there was a sleep score that kind of projected and told you about that. All of those kind of things, you know, bring in some of these things that I've been talking about. So you start to see the value of these products, not from the data they collect or the sensors they have in them, but the behaviours or the experiences they enable. And one of my favourites was actually a smart walking stick that in previous years you'd have just gone, no, it makes no sense whatsoever. Because all it was really was an accelerometer in the walking stick. But actually what it was about, full detection, and it would alert caregivers that if their loved one had fallen over and there was the end-to-end solution, it worked really well and it made a lot of sense to me because actually it had a real purpose. It was basically invisible technology. You know, It wasn't anything strange or that you had to add to it. And so that's why I like going to CES because it just gives me a glimpse of what's coming next. There we go. A life controlled by algorithms and software. Thanks, Rafe. Um, <laughs> so we should wrap up. We're well over time. But if you saw anything at CES that uh, you think we should talk about a bit more, we'd be love to hear about that. And particularly this whole concept of emotion in products. I'm, I'm fascinated by I think it's something we should come back to in the future. But I'm looking forward to my self-driving car and my rocket ship as well, Rafe, and whenever that's going to come along. Yeah, so mm-hmm. make you happy. You make me happy. Okay, <laughs> we should say thank you very much to our friends at Digitus LBI for providing a recording venue. Should I say thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Uh, if you'd like to help support the cost of the show, you can go to 361podcast.com and there's a link there. You can support us from as little as $1 per episode. Uh, I'm not sure what the dollar's worth anymore, but give us one anyway and uh, we'll <laughs> we'll save them up until the dollar recovers and spend it on important things for the show. Thank you very much. And thank you to Mark audiowrangler.co.uk who will have hopefully hashtagged something meaningful out of this hour's worth of recorded drivel we've just done. Thank you, uh, Ian McLeod and Rafe Blanford. It was most interesting. Thank you for going all the way to CES to learn all mm. those facts for us. Thank you, Rafe. Rafe Blanford. Thank you, Ben. That's very kind of you. That's much appreciated. And of course, uh, we'll be talking about ethics more in a future episode. Yep. Ethics, near Thuthics. There we go. It's my <laughs> ethics joke. Uh, lots of love. Okay. We will be back next week. Bye bye.